You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, we are uh, in a series where we have been talking about worship and uh, particularly what worship is and why we do it and some of the implications of worship. This morning, we're going to wrap up that series and we're going to kind of focus in on what worship does to a community, like how worship can actually affect or impact a community, not just inside the church, not just this community, although it certainly has implications here, but beyond this community, uh, out into the town and the area and the region around us, like how can worship affect an area, all right? So um, one of the things that everybody just did was uh, celebrated Thanksgiving in some way, shape, or form. We gathered up this morning with all the people that helped set up and the worship team in the morning, and we talked about what everybody did for Thanksgiving, and it was pretty interesting. It was a lot of non-traditional stuff. Uh, we had uh, chicken from Safeway. We had prime rib. We had ham. We had turkey. We, and then there was some, oh, we forgot that part. We forgot that part, right? Um, and there was uh, a general sense of uh, consistent overeating amongst the crowd this morning. And so on the tale of Thanksgiving and our family and everybody getting together, one of the things that happens a lot is when you get your family together or you get together with your uh, away from home family, you, you tend to find out who the storytellers are, right? And you find out who has a lot of stories and a lot of good stories and a lot of not so good stories. In our family, uh, my wife's uh, dad is the storyteller. Now, we're going to see him for Christmas, so I didn't get the Thanksgiving dose, so, um, which will be helpful because it'll make the Christmas stories that much easier to consume for the 28th time, right? What happens with a lot of good storytellers is they just tell the same stories over and over and over and over and over, right? You, fo- you following me? Does anybody know somebody like that in your family? Where you're like, that was a cool story, 28 times ago, right? One of the things that can happen for us as Christians is we can actually go to God's word and kind of have that same thing where there are stories in the Bible that we have heard uh, oftentimes many times over and over and over again. And so when we hear one of those uh, very familiar stories, we can start to kind of gloss over a little bit, check out a little bit. We're like, oh yeah, I've, I've heard this one before. They're gonna teach out of that? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, you know? And you start to feel like you're listening to one of your grandpa's stories at Thanksgiving. But here's what I would want to challenge you, is that in the story we're going to talk about today, although it is a really familiar and foundational story for God's people, I bet there is some parts of it that maybe you're not as familiar with uh, as you maybe think. So the story we're going to talk about is the story of the exodus of God's people from Egypt. Now, when you say that, you're like, oh, yeah, I got that one. I remember it. Yeah, plagues, Pharaoh, Moses, there's all this stuff going on. You remember all these components to the story. But what I wonder is, if I was to throw a little pop quiz at you, Yeah, all right, let's pop quiz them. Uh, Okay, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a pop quiz. You have three seconds notice. And test anxiety. 
and test anxiety. Now, the reality is uh, you get to grade your own papers, sigh of relief, okay? Only God knows if you're honest. Hello. Um, so grab your pens. What I want you to, to write down is in the story of the Exodus, do you know exactly, precisely why God wanted Pharaoh to let his people go? What's the exact, not the guess, the exact answer why did God want Pharaoh to let his people go? All right, what do you got? Anybody, anybody feeling brave? Want to shout it out? Yeah, to worship him. It's a, it's a little less fun when you all get the answer right. But. So let's pray and we'll be done. No, um, no, it's a, yeah, great job. You know, it's, it's critically important. So God calls the nation of Israel out of Egypt so that they can worship him. Do you remember the 10 plagues, the frogs and locusts and on and on and on in, in Egypt? Seven of those, when Moses came and announced them, uh, God commanded him to say, tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me. It was a big, huge deal to God. Let's take a look at some scripture real quick in your notes and up on the screens. So Exodus 7, where this really starts to pick up steam, it says this, Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink, the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. So the key phrase there, let my people go so that they may worship me. Let's look at another one real quick. We're in Exodus 8 now. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. So just for fun, let's do one more just so you know that I'm not joking around. Let's do, go ahead and put the next one up. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. This is a huge deal to God. Let my people go so that they may worship me. He calls his people away from, from this Egyptian community and, and uh, seeks to isolate really the community of God in this place of worship. Now, what on earth, why is that such a big deal? Why does God want a community, a community to worship? Well, first of all, it's obvious that God wanted his people free, not only free, but free to worship him. But the incredible thing about worship and community is worship galvanizes our identity. It refocuses us on what matters most it resets our, our mental priorities, um, resets our perspective, and gets our eyes back where they belong as a collective group. That collective group, that's a big deal, right? Moses, uh, in all of these challenges to Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go, Pharaoh refuses, but finally he eventually says, okay, look, let's, let, how about this? Just the men, just the men go out into the wilderness and worship, we'll keep the women and children here. God says, no. Absolutely not. Worship is the job of community. Not just people in skinny jeans. 
or with weird haircuts or who play an instrument or sing. That's, it's all of us. It's all of our job to worship. And I mean, that's no guilt trip. What I'm trying to say is that when all of our voices are collectively lifted up to God, something incredible happens in this group. It, it, it reshapes, reinforms, and reforms our identity. I'll tell you uh, a little bit of my background. So I'm the youngest of nine kids. Um, there's Amy, Joe, Jean, John, Kate, Beth, Mike, Dan, and me. And I did not make those up. Those are their actual names. Um, so we, uh, my family started out in upstate New York, and then my dad moved us out to Oregon. And where he decided to stop was this little town called Alfalfa. Has anybody, anybody ever heard of Alfalfa? Exactly. Not the one with the, doop, not that alfalfa, but the, this little town, you couldn't even call it a wide spot in the road. It was just desert. Just, I mean, in the middle of the desert. Nowhere, nowhere. Um, <clears throat> it was the, really, it was kind of the opposite of the witness protection program. It's where you'd have a bunch of criminals would go out to this community in the desert, and that's where they would uh, be free, so to speak. So my dad gets there and goes, hey, let's start a church. And so that was a, a good bit of my childhood. But we were, when I say poor, I mean we were poor, poor. My dad built us this house um, that, I mean, you can only loosely call it a house. It, it was like a shed, a big shed. And uh, it had a wood stove in it. And my mom would heat water on this wood stove. And then she'd pour it into those, remember those old, the green Coleman lanterns? Or Coleman uh, uh, coolers. The big, the, the coolers, you open the lid and it's like, like that. So she'd pour the hot water in there and tip it out of a window and open up the little spigot and the water would come out. And that's how we'd shower. We were poor. I was potty trained in an outhouse. Um, and some of you are like, makes sense. Um, <clears throat> But uh, we, were, we were dirt, dirt, dirt poor. We had nothing. But when we get together now, like around the holidays and stuff, I have this big family, we get together, and we always look back on it as one of the most amazing times in our lives. It was, it was so special. Uh, and it, was, it, it always centered around this idea of worship. And, and it wasn't like academic or anything. We'd just get together and sing. It's just what we did. We'd sing worship songs to God. The old, like, little kid ones. I don't know if you remember, like, uh, Father Abraham had many sons, that one. And then we'd be like, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You know, so march around our little house shed. It was pretty fun. <clears throat> and it, No, it didn't fall. But uh, we, we look back on this time as incredibly special. And uh, the reason, I'm convinced that the reason it's so special to us and not like, man, I'm glad that's in the past, is because as bad as it got, as poor as we were, we always knew who we were and whose we were. And it all centered around worship. I'll try not to breathe. Um, <laughs> I know. Best of luck. Good luck. Hey, uh, there's another story in uh, Acts that is a story that a lot of us are familiar with, but it has a really neat um, connection to what we're talking about when we talk about worship, not only galvanizing a community together, like helping kind of solidify their identity as rescued ones, ones that are redeemed and, and saved by Christ, but it also shows a picture of what happens beyond that. It shows a picture of what happens outside of the walls of the church, so to speak, or amongst just the Christians that worship has an impact on our community around us in a big and amazing way. Um, 
I'll just give you the cliff notes of the front end of this story before we dig into it. It's from Acts chapter 4, and, and Peter and John are sharing the gospel. They're sharing the good news about Jesus, and in particular, they're talking about uh, the resurrection of the dead in Christ, and the Sadducees and the chief priests were not happy about them talking about this. They uh, hauled them in and, and started questioning them and, and having this banter back and forth with them of, why are you saying what you're saying? And it was late in the day when they had first brought them in and confirmed fronted them. And so not being able to really find anything to hold against them, they thought, well, we'll throw them in jail for the night and see if that'll help them kind of cool off, right? Like, like uh, we'll see if a night in jail changes their mind about this message they keep sharing. And so they throw them in jail for the night and the next morning they bring them back out and they're right back where they started and they're, they're making these accusations against them. And in particular, they're questioning by whose authority do they have to say the things they're saying? Because according to them, these things are blasphemy. Like, how can you say what you're saying? And, and then they just respond with this banter about, we can only say what we've seen. We can only testify to what Jesus has showed us. Like, like we're only talking about what we've seen. And something interesting happens is the, the people around them see Peter and John kind of holding their own in this banter, and they recognize and realize that Peter and John were just regular guys. There was nothing particularly f special about them. They were just regular guys, but they took note that they were regular guys who had been with Jesus. And there was something about that that stuck out to people. And along with that, there's a guy that had been crippled uh, since birth, and now this guy is been healed by Peter and John. He's 40 years old, and the people in the town knew that this man was crippled and had been crippled his whole life, and now right before their eyes, they see him well and healed and whole, and, and the people are essentially huge Peter and John fans, huge Jesus fans, and the priest and the council recognized, like, this might not be the best time to try and come against these guys, to try and throw them back in jail or punish them because like, the people will be with them. And so they, they do what every parent throughout history has tried to do, and it never works. They, have, they, they tried to give them a stern talking to. Nothing like a long lecture to make you change your ways, right? Those of you that are parents, works awesome, right? No. Right? You're welcome, children. So they give him this long lecture, and they, they just keep telling him, you know, don't, don't do it anymore, don't do it anymore, don't do it anymore. And eventually, they just cut him loose. They're like, okay, oh, with that, be on your way. And how Peter and John respond to this is really cool. They, they go directly to their friends, to their community, like to their, their church friends at the time. And they share their story. They, they testify. They tell about what God has been up to, what God has just done and delivered them from. And I want to share with you how that rolls out. Look at, look at what happens in Acts 4, starting in 23, says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So Peter and John like testify, they go run back to their friends like you are not going to believe what has happened to us the last couple of days. And they share this story about how God has delivered them from the the chief priests and out of jail and they couldn't find anything against us to accuse us. And, And they share this testimony and in response to what God is up to, their friends, their, the, the group of believers that they gathered together with responded with worship. They started to quote David, the psalmist, and they started to sing psalms and praise and, and pray together. And when they did that, the Holy Spirit showed up in an amazing and miraculous way. Like the ground shook and the Holy Spirit showed up. And there was something amazing that was going on amongst them. Now, I don't want to take for granted any of that stuff that was going on right there. I don't want to downplay any of that. But in addition to that, there was something else that was taking place. There was some other things that were starting to roll out amongst them and in around their community because of their devotion to the Lord, their devotion to gather together and worship and pray together. It was starting to have some other Impact in addition to this cool stuff that we just read about. Let me show you what happens. It goes like this. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, John and Peter testify to what's going on. They, they get together with their friends. They worship. They pray together. They celebrate what God is doing. The Holy Spirit shows up in an amazing way. And not only this happens, but in addition to this, they, they start to actually change kind of their identity. And it starts to impact the community around them. Not only does it, is God at work in their hearts to, to, for them to change their own personally personal way they see themselves like they start to see themselves as a part of something bigger as saved by Christ as redeemed as looking forward to resurrection like they had been taught but in addition to that they started to see their stuff even differently their stuff wasn't their stuff anymore their land wasn't this is what I've got and I've I've got to hang on to it to pass on it was this is just something that's available to meet needs in the community. 
And so they were a part of this community that was flowing out. These benefits were flowing out to not only the Christian people, the, the followers of Jesus, but they were impacting the greater community around them. And that the greater community around them was even starting to be blessed because these people looked at their own stuff not as their own, but as a means to help each other. Now, I think probably it's safe to say that when a lot of people at some point in your Christian walk, when you read this passage, at some point, I think it's common for people to think, man, that is really cool. And you maybe daydream a little bit in your mind and you start to kind of to think and dream a little bit of like, what would it have been like to live then? Like, like we can almost look at that with such fondness and amazement and awe and almost come to a point where we feel like we've missed out. Like those were the days. And I wanna tell you this morning, although those were the days, and that was amazing, it wasn't unique to only that time. It wasn't something that could only happen in that time and that place or with those people. It's something that happens all the time. It's something that happens in communities all over the United States. We hear so many amazing stories. And it's something that's happening in our own community through the impact of our own church worshiping and praising and growing together in our identity as people who are set free by Christ, who are rescued ones, who are redeemed, who has a, a God that loves us. And as we come together and get reminded of that and we worship God together, it starts to impact the Palouse. It starts to impact the people that live around us on the Palouse. Probably a lot of you have heard about a ministry that's been a part of real life for a long time called Real Needs. Um, Derek Murphy and some other folks uh, helped put that whole program together several years ago. And it's recently got kind of revamped and overhauled and retooled because there were so many needs coming in, they needed to really fine tune it to get it as efficient and uh, functional as possible. And it's, it's a great, great ministry. It does something really simple. It helps identify people in the community who have, catch this, real needs, like they actually need a bed for their kids to sleep on so they're not sleeping on the floor. They oftentimes are folks that have come out of a emergency situation where they had to leave a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a abusive situation and they are literally starting over with the clothes on their back like nothing, and they have real practical needs. Those needs are posted to a, a, a network, and people sign up to be a part of that network, and when, that, when you see that those needs are posted, people in our church, in our community, just do something amazing. They take something that, is, that they have, and they act like it's not their own, and they just give it to somebody else, and those needs are met. And it's amazing. And it happens because people are growing in their identity as we worship together and we celebrate what God's doing in our lives. It, it just changes the way that we affect and impact our community. 
In the weeks to come, we're going to tell you a bunch more about real needs, and we're going to help people be, uh, understand that ministry more and be more aware of how to be a part of it and what it looks like and what it entails because um, we just really want everybody on the Palouse to know about that ministry because it's amazing. So you'll see more about that in the weeks to come. Another thing you guys are all pretty aware of at our campus here in Pullman is the duplex that we rented. And by we, I mean you guys, right? The duplex that we rented, everybody familiar with that? I know. (laughs) We're both speechless, you're in trouble. We rented this duplex in town, and uh, it's getting used for all sorts of various things, but in, in the process of renting it, it needed to be outfitted with everything, and so over the last several weeks, we have asked um, our congregation here in Pullman to help put that together, like to, to meet the needs that are everything from dishes to towels to furniture to toys to supplies, I mean, everything, and you guys have stepped up to the plate in huge ways. Like everything that's in that duplex, it's a three bedroom, three bathroom house is essentially what it is. Everything that's in there to make it a home so that ministry can happen there to folks in our community. Everything that's in there has come from the people in our church, which is very cool. Um, it's helping us come alongside and love on and serve families in our community that need help, that need to be loved on, that need to be encouraged, that um, just need to know that there are people out there that have hope for them, that care about them, that are willing to put their stuff out there, not just say nice things, but to actually like meet needs that they have. And so one of the real big uses of that duplex is for um, uh, caseworkers that work with kids that have been removed from the home for various reasons. When they're in the process of their families being restored and working to get their family put back together, they have to have a a time where they go through a, a season of supervised visitation. That supervised visitation, as many of you know, we found out was happening at uh, McDonald's in the Playland frequently. And multiple hours in the McDonald's Playland is not a great idea. I don't care who you are. Um, It just doesn't work. And so this duplex has helped provide a venue for those families to meet and to do their visitations in a place that feels like a home, not uh, all the chaos of somewhere else like that. And so it's not even completely put together yet. We're like behind the curve trying to get it all put together and the rooms set up and all that stuff, get everything put away and we're working on it. But in the meantime, it's already getting used just about every day now. There is a family using it to do a visit. Sometimes we've got a family upstairs in the one of the rooms set up and a family downstairs. And just last week, another uh, company that does that same type of work found out what we were doing and said, hey, we also have five 
facilitators that do those visits, and we would love some place like that to, to have our families be able to do those types of visits. Um, she brought in two of her uh, facilitators and came and met with our staff here in Pullman on last Monday. And when we sat down and met with them and told them about what we were doing and how you all have been supportive and what you all have done to, to help them in their venture to love families, they're just fighting back tears. One of the ladies that does facilitation and has done it for years and years and years is just choked up and can hardly talk because she's going, you have no idea how this changes my ability to help families to know that I don't have to go to McDonald's. Like, it lifts a weight off of me like you have no idea. She says, I, I have one family in particular that the mom hasn't had a great story. She's been a challenge. And she has asked that their visits be shortened. She wants as short a visit as possible because she can't handle the stress of the McDonald's or sitting at the library for three hours. It's just too much. And so as a result, they get less and less time together and the kids get less and less time with their mom. They used the duplex and did a visit there and that mom came and cooked a meal for her kids on pans that you guys brought. She got a hold of the facilitator afterwards and told her how excited she was that that place was available. Told her she wants to make sure that she could get back on track with longer visits, that she could spend more time with her kids. This facilitator is like in tears going, you don't understand, I have worked with this family a year and in a year I've never heard this lady say anything positive. Right? Like this is cool stuff going on because of you guys loving the Lord and loving people in our community. And so when God's people are free to worship, it changes us personally. It changes us as a church. It, it galvanizes our identity just like it did for the Israelites. J just like for them now, when we are free to come here and praise God and worship him together and celebrate what God has done in our lives and what he's doing in our midst and amongst our church, it shapes who we are as a church, who we are as a family, and it spills over into how we love our community in big and amazing ways. It's awesome to be a part of a church where we get to come together and worship God together. It's awesome to be a part of a church where we get to celebrate um, what Christ has done for us uh, each and every week. And we get an, an opportunity to do that this morning as we're wrapping up. We're going to take communion together. And as the ushers are passing out communion, if you're new with us at Real Life, we have what we call an open table. And that means anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome and encouraged to take communion with us. And if everybody would just hold on to that stuff when they pass it out, we'll take communion together in just a few minutes. So um, we're going to go through some implications. They're in your notes, and they're going to be up on the screen. But just a reminder about implications, especially this time of year when things are busy with the holidays. Um, 
it, sometimes, you know, you were in the thick of a Bible study and it was going great and then holiday season hits and you can't remember where you put your Bible study or your home group was like really running strong and all of a sudden everybody's got 19 things and there's people missing and like stuff, it's just stuff happens around holiday season. Everybody's got stuff going on. These implications are a great way to kind of charge up your personal time with God to grab those and stick them on your counter next to your cup of coffee and use those as a refresher. They're a great way to, to spur your dinnertime conversation, throw them on the table, and just say, hey, somebody pick one, and that'll be what we'll talk about for dinner. Um, so as we go through them, they're just some reminders of ways that are other things to, to do to help us take this conversation beyond what we hear on Sunday. So let's take a look at those. Yeah, let's look at the first one. It says, as part of God's community, we are called to worship. It's, it's what God has called us to do. If you look back at that Exodus story and go back a few earlier, a few chapters to like chapter three, um, it's where God calls Moses at the burning bush and talks to him through the burning bush, if you remember. So Moses is a little worried about going into this nation um, and bringing another nation out of it. He's asking God, how are they going to know that you sent me? And, and how are we going to know that you're with us? And God says, well, here, I'll give you a sign. And the sign will be that when you come out of Egypt, you will worship me on my mountain. From the very beginning, this was an issue of worship. God was calling his people to worship. So we see what happens. Uh, the, the sea parts and the nation of Israel walks across on dry ground. The seas close in around Pharaoh's army and they're destroyed. And the very first response that the nation of Israel has is to sing a song of worship. This next one is kind of a good one for you to just chew on personally. What is keeping you from being free to worship God? What's keeping you personally? Not making any assumptions that you're not, but just ask that question. Throw that one down for, for one of your times with the Lord one morning or evening this week and just chew on that and ask God to help you see, is there anything hanging you up from being all in and free to worship him? Let's look at the next one. God's faithful people throughout history have responded to his work with worship. I love this one. Um, it's, it can get easy to go through life and see the things that God is doing and, uh, and just sort of keep going. Um, but what I would encourage you with this, with this implication, what I'd encourage you to do is to just take a minute and stop. And stop and notice what God is up to. And just give him a moment of worship, whether it's a big thing, like, you know, something huge happens in your family or your finances or something like that, or, or a really small little thing where you get the, the stupid USB thing in on the first try, whatever it is, just take a, take a moment and go, God, I see what you're up to and it's awesome. And I just want to give this to you in worship. Next one. Here's a big one, guys. How we worship in here shapes how we love people out there. Let that one marinate a minute. How we, as a family, how we come together and worship in here shapes how we love people out there. 
when we're free to worship and we come together and we are all in for the Lord and we can sing songs together and praise him and pray together and, and worship together, we can't help but leave here and have eyes that are looking to love other people. Like God has loved us. And every week we get an opportunity, in addition to worshiping together, we get a, an opportunity to, to celebrate and be reminded that we have a God that is worthy of worship. We have a, a Savior who paid the ultimate price so that we could have a relationship with the Father. Not only a relationship with the Father, but every day, 24-7 access with guidance and help and encouragement through his Spirit for those of us that are willing to trust and follow Jesus, that is available because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And every week when we get together, we have an opportunity to take communion and be reminded that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he says, often as we get together, let's do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and told him this was a cup that represents a new covenant that, that is uh, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's drink this in remembrance of him. Well, we get an opportunity to kind of put our money where our mouth is when we wrap up service this morning. We get an opportunity to, to worship before we go home and go on about our week. We get an opportunity to worship together as a family. So... Would you please uh, join us and really let the words of this song kind of sink in as you sing them out, not so that anybody can hear you, not so that the worship team can hear, so that, so that you can just be real and saying these words out to the Lord personally. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.